The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. You can join us live Saturday nights at 6 p.m., Sunday mornings at 9, 10.30, or 12, or you can join us online at cityrev.org. You know, recently I was, uh, not long ago, I was... Well, we are in part two of our series, Follow Me. And as we are talking about this series, we're talking about this phrase that Jesus would say over and over. It's actually recorded in all four of the biographies of Jesus, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this simple phrase, follow me. And as we're getting into that, I was just thinking about how um, in this season, of course, we're worried about how contagious COVID-19 is, but there's so many things that are contagious. So for example, fear. Fear is contagious. If someone is feeling very, very afraid, they can easily pass that to someone else. So if you ever are feeling crazy and you want to experiment with this, next time you're in a large crowd of people, just suddenly scream at the top of your lungs and run for all you're worth in one single direction. And chances are the people around you will, they'll just start running. They'll just start running in the same direction. They don't know why. They don't know why you're screaming. Maybe your Netflix account just got canceled. They don't know. They're just going to start running with you because fear is contagious. Here's a, here's another experiment. If you would like to try, you could do this. If you want to mess with people, Go into the grocery store, go into Publix at some point, and all of a sudden get your shopping cart very nervously and just pick one thing, anything in the entire store, and just nervously fill your entire cart with that one object. Immediately, you will create scarcity, probably across the nation for whatever that object is. It could be mustard. You just go down the aisle, fill your cart with mustard nervously, and run out, and everyone's going to start looking for mustard to buy. Why? Because fear is contagious. But you know what else is contagious? Hope is actually contagious because if someone has something that they're hopeful about and they're, and they're talking about why they have hope, you can actually spread hope. You know, um, selfishness, that's contagious. You know, if uh, there's a a birthday party and you're doling out birthday cake and everyone starts getting grabby at the kind of the size cake that they want or everyone wants that last piece. Now everyone's thinking about, well, what about my piece of cake? I want a piece of cake. And now everyone's thinking about their own fair share of cake. Maybe you've split a pizza recently with uh, your family and you see like there's only a few slices left and you're starting to do the math in your head. Like how many slices have that, that person had? I've only had certain amount of slices. Selfishness can be contagious. If you start acting selfish, I'm going to start acting selfish. But you know, generosity is, is also contagious. When someone starts acting very givingly and they're just offering other people things that are theirs, that can trigger other people to be generous. You know, um, bitterness is, is very contagious. Man, if I'm talking in your ear and I just keep talking negatively about someone in your life, just over and over and over, what I can do is I can plant little seeds of bitterness in there and I can actually spread bitterness to you. You can catch it from me. But you know, laughter is also contagious. Um, my, our, our little baby, my one-year-old Hope, she right now loves, I mean, she loves the song, The Itsy Bitsy Spider. I mean, she just loves that song. And I'll walk in, first time I see her, whether first thing in the morning, first thing when I get home from work, the first thing she'll do is she'll go like this. 
And so I got to stop what I'm doing and I got to go into the itsy bitsy spider and she just starts laughing. But it doesn't matter what kind of day I'm having. When I see that little girl start laughing, I start laughing because laughter and joy is also contagious. So there's all kinds of things that if we catch it, we can spread it. But there's one thing in this season that our culture, our world, our nation, our society, our city so desperately needs to catch. It's one particular attribute, one particular force that we have got to, we have to catch it ourselves so that we can spread it because our, our city is desperate for it. Our nation is desperate for this one thing. And Christian, if you want to be an agent that's transforming your city, you have to catch this. If you want to see our, our society starting to pull back together, we have to catch this one thing and spread it because it is so contagious. I want to show you what this one attribute is. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 9. Uh, this is written by a guy named Matthew. It is one of the biographies of the life and ministry of Jesus. This is Matthew chapter 9. We're going to pick it up in verse 9. This is such a beautiful story that took place in Jesus' ministry. Look at what, what it says. Matthew chapter 9 verse 9 says this. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now let's just pause there for, for just a second. This is Jesus walking through a town called Capernaum. This is where the headquarters of Jesus' ministry. There's a guy there who is a tax collector named Matthew. You're saying, oh, Matthew's writing about a Matthew. He's actually writing about himself. This is what's so interesting about this passage. This is the author writing about the moment when Jesus called him to be a follower of Christ. Now, three of the four gospels record this story. Personally, I love hearing Matthew's own account of this story because there's some nuances in it that are particularly interesting. This is when uh, Matthew's writing about when Jesus calls him. Matthew is sitting in his tax booth. Now that right there is, and the fact that Jesus calls him while he's in his tax booth, that right there is a, a very fascinating part of the story. This is one of the most controversial uh, disciples that Jesus calls. It's one thing for him to call these rough fishermen to follow after him as a rabbi, but it's another thing for Jesus to call a tax collector to follow him. Now, nobody likes to pay their taxes, okay? I don't think I know anybody who just is like, yes, let me just pay my taxes. Most people don't like to do that, but this is a little bit of a different situation because in this time period, Israel is oppressed and conquered and occupied by the Roman Empire. So you are paying taxes to another empire. It's not like they have representation in the Roman Senate that can protect them from being overtaxed. They don't have that. They're a conquered people. So when they pay taxes, there is extra pain in that because it's part of their oppression. They're paying taxes. Now here's the difficulty with the tax collectors. The tax collectors, those who are collecting the tax for the enemy, are actually Jewish people themselves. So these tax collectors are looked at as total traitors. 
they've turned their backs on their own Jewish people to collect taxes from their people to give to the, to the, the enemy, the Romans. On top of that is how the system worked. The government would say, the, the Roman government would say, collect this amount of tax. However much more you'd like to collect, that you keep as your income. Now you can imagine what kind of fraudulent activity that created among tax collectors. So not only if I am a tax collector, am I a traitor to my people, but I am profiting on my people. So Matthew would have been hated. The tax collectors were notorious in the time of Jesus in this culture. So the fact that Jesus calls a tax collector is very unexpected. It's very shocking and it's very controversial. And this is Matthew's account of how he was called. Let's keep going. Verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? All right, now this takes it to a whole nother level. Jesus doesn't just say, look, Matthew, look, I, I'm going to have compassion on you. Just stop being a tax collector. Come follow me. I'll set you straight, but let's just leave that lifestyle behind. That's not exactly what Jesus does here. Yes, Matthew's no longer a tax collector. He does call him out of that profession, but then he goes to Matthew's house and sits and eats with him. And Matthew brings all of his tax collector friends. And now Jesus is with a bunch of tax collectors sitting there eating. And it says tax collectors and sinners. And when it says tax collectors and sinners, that's not just meaning like sinners, like, you know, we're all sinners, you know, everyone there is a sinner. This is like meaning like notorious sinners. Like these are people that have a bad reputation that are all sitting there, that they're, they're all friends. They're all out spiritual outsiders and outcasts all around the table. That's who Matthew's friends are. Matthew begins following Jesus. Matthew invites Jesus over and there's Jesus with a bunch of tax collectors and a bunch of notorious sinners. And who did Jesus bring with him? His disciples. His disciples, if they, if they signed up to follow Jesus, they're following him right into Matthew's house, sitting there with all the tax collectors and sinners. Well, as you can probably imagine, the Pharisees are pretty stunned by this. The Pharisees are the spiritual elite. They're the rabbis. They're the very educated. They're the ones that dot every I, cross every T, follow every rule, make a bunch of extra rules to make sure they follow all the rules. They are precise spiritually following every single law to the letter from the Old Testament. And again, like even adding to it to make sure they do. And so when they see that this rabbi who's gaining some traction is eating with tax collectors and sinners, they have no category for it. So they want to ask about it. But notice they don't have the courage to ask Jesus. They ask his disciples. They pull his disciples aside and say, man, what is Jesus doing eating with these tax collectors and sinners? Now, I just want to pause here for a second because that would probably even raise some eyebrows in, in our generation, in modern times. But this is even more astonishing in ancient times because, and, and especially in, in this Jewish context, because of their kosher laws. Because who I ate with and what I ate was very much a part of my spiritual identity. God had given them kosher laws that they were to follow. 
So then if they then ate with someone, the Pharisees are not going to eat with someone. They're not only going to eat things that are unkosher and in a way that's unkosher. They're going to follow all the laws. But they're actually not going to then eat some, with someone that they're not absolutely sure they are also following the laws. In other words, if I eat with you, then I'm affirming that you are a spiritual equal. If I eat with you, then I'm basically approving of your lifestyle. If I eat with you, then I'm actually endorsing you. If I sit down at the same table, I'm putting my stamp of approval and my endorsement on your lifestyle. That's how the Pharisees were perceiving it. In other words, they're essentially saying, if I eat with you and you're a sinner, you'll contaminate me. If I sit down and I, I eat with you, I don't want to accidentally approve of your sin. And what is all that essentially saying? If I sit down and eat with you and you are a sinner, that means I, I can't lower myself to sit with you as a sinner. You're beneath me. I'm superior spiritually. What is all of that? Man, it's just self-righteousness. That is, I have my life so cleaned up, I'm not going to associate with you and contaminate myself. I'm not going to lower myself and accidentally approve uh, of your sinful lifestyle. That's all self-righteousness. The Pharisees are astonished that Jesus would do this. And they ask his disciples, who, by the way, are probably just as astonished. They ask him, why is your rabbi sitting with with these sinners. It's almost like a punctuation. Why is your teacher? It's like they're not only casting shame on Jesus, but actually on the disciples. They're kind of putting that shame on them. But the disciples, they signed up to follow Jesus open-ended. So if Jesus goes to Matthew's house, they said they'd follow him. So they're following him right into Matthew's house. What does Jesus say? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It's a quote. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Here's essentially what Jesus is saying. He says, okay, um, those who are well don't go to the doctor. They don't have a need of a doctor. Doctors are there to heal the sick. So if I'm a spiritual physician, shouldn't you, Jesus is saying, if I'm a spiritual physician, shouldn't you expect to see me among the spiritually sick? In other words, he's saying, why are you so surprised that I'm among the lost if I'm the one trying, if I, my job is to find them? Why are you so surprised I'm among the sinners if I'm supposed to save them from their sin? Why are you so surprised that if I'm the spiritual healer that I'm among those who need healing? And then he quotes the, a section from the Old Testament. And he says, go and learn what this means. Can I just tell you, no one talks to Pharisees like that. No one says to some of the most spiritually um, educated people about the scriptures, hey, apparently you missed a section. No one says, apparently you missed some of the lessons. Obviously, you need to go back and relearn something that's in the Bible. I mean, this is a bar. But Jesus is saying, obviously, you don't understand this principle in the Old Testament. He says, go and learn what this means. And he's quoting from the book of Hosea, I desire mercy not sacrifice. In other words, he's saying to the Pharisees, hey, um, why don't you take another run at the book of Hosea? 
Why don't you go back and, and, and just kind of explore what Jesus meant when he, when he told them that he wanted faithful love and not just religious activity. He wanted a heart that's actually seeking after God, not a heart that's just going through the motions. And he's saying, you obviously don't know this lesson. Go back and take a look. So let's just pause for a second and let's be obedient to what Jesus says. Let's, take a, let's go back for a second and, and let's be reminded of what the book of Hosea is about. Hosea, that's one of the most interesting books of the Old Testament. God calls this guy, uh, Hosea, a prophet, and he says, um, I want you to go marry a woman who is not going to be faithful to you. And he gets married to this woman, and sure enough, she, she goes and cheats on him. And God says, okay, Hosea, um, you're your wife was unfaithful um, and she's left you and she's sleeping around and I want you to go after her, pursue her, bring her back and redeem her and keep loving her. So even though Hosea's wife is repeatedly unfaithful to Hosea, Hosea demonstrates a kind of faithful, loyal, committed love that is, I mean, just almost otherworldly. Why would God ask this prophet to do that? That is, an, that Hosea's life, that situation is a metaphor in the book for God's love of us. We are unfaithful to God. And he is like a committed, loyal, faithful spouse that loves us so much he keeps chasing us down and winning us back and bringing us back. So Jesus says, hey, go back and remind yourself about the book of Hosea. In other words, go back and see what God is like. He's got a loyal, faithful love. He pursues the sinner. And then he comes back around and says, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, Jesus is saying, what did you think I'm doing here? I'm going after the sinner. I'm going after the lost. I'm going after the faithless. And I'm drawing them to faith. This is, I am exactly here for the sinner, not for the righteous. So what is Jesus saying? Is Jesus saying the tax collectors are sinners? And the Pharisees are righteous. That's why I'm hanging out with the tax collectors and I'm not at your house, Pharisees. Is, is that what he's saying? No, no, no. Look a little closer. What is Jesus saying? He's looking at the Pharisees and saying, you're surprised I'm with sinners. That means there's a lesson about God you haven't learned. You haven't learned that God goes after the sinners to rescue them. So if he's saying, Pharisees, you don't know about God, what is he saying about the Pharisees? They're not righteous. They're sinners. The problem with their type of lostness is they're lost and don't even know it. At least the tax collector here, Matthew, knows he's lost and is coming to Jesus to get rescued. Do you see what, what Jesus is exposing here with these Pharisees is that their self-righteousness is exposing their own lostness. Their self-righteousness, self-righteousness itself is a type of lostness. 
the fact that they don't realize they need to pull up a chair at that very table and sit with Jesus is just showing how lost they actually are. They're just as spiritually sick. They're just not going to the physician. We learn from this text is that when you follow Jesus, you're encountering something. Imagine why, how it must have felt as Matthew to write this down. I mean, what a redemptive moment. Can you imagine being Matthew? Imagine overhearing someone say, I can't believe Jesus would eat with someone like him. Can you imagine like that kind of derogatory language being used? A kind of uh, spiritual oppression being sown? And what that does to Matthew's psyche and self-esteem Can you imagine hearing Jesus say, Matthew's exactly the person I want to be here with? And how much redemption it would have felt for Matthew to hear Jesus call out the Pharisees on how lost they are in their own self-righteousness, that they don't realize they need to be rescued. What a redemptive moment here. See, here's what we we realize. Self-righteousness is actually a sign that we're lost. If I don't realize how desperately I need Jesus, that means I am that lost. If I'm like, look, I, I just don't think I need Jesus. That means I'm, that, that's just a sign of how lost I am. To, to follow Jesus is to discover something the world doesn't know. It's to discover grace. See, here's uh, how our world operates. Our world operates with one of two concepts. The world operates between these two poles, tolerance and intolerance. That's all that the world knows and can know. It's tolerance and intolerance. So tolerance is I excuse your behavior. I overlook your behavior or I accept your behavior thinking that's loving. But it's basically my affection for you makes me overlook your behavior. And, and what that sounds like is, look, I love you. I'm going to accept you just being you. But tolerance breaks down and, and everyone in their life sees how tolerance breaks down. Because what if you just being you means you go out and enjoy driving drunk? Is that loving for me to say, look, I know that you're a drunk driver all the time and you put people's lives in danger, but I'm just, I'm not going to, who am I to judge you? You just be you. What if um, you being you means being in a a cycle of destructive and abusive relationships? Is that actual loving or or is that just cowardly for me not to speak truth into your life? See, pure tolerance breaks down because all of every one of us have things in our life we need to be saved out of. That's tolerance. But what intolerance is, is I am going to correct your behavior in the name of truth. But what that ends up being is condemnation. It's I am in a position to correct your behavior and condemn your behavior. And I'm going to call that truth. 
But what that, what that breaks down because then as I'm correcting your behavior, I'm pushing you away saying, I'm superior. I have a superior view in your life. So I'm pushing you away, which means you're actually not then going to be receptive to the truth that I'm speaking to you. In fact, you might be so repulsed, so offended that it actually might push you deeper into that very flaw that I'm trying to rescue you out of. Man, how could you get into another relationship like that? What's wrong with you? Like, don't you see the pattern over and over? Like, why can't you do what I did? And now I'm so offended that might push me deeper into that relationship. Man, what's wrong with you? Keep driving like this. You're going to kill someone. You have such a problem. And I'm so offended. I'm going to push away. And so, so what this does, tolerance and intolerance, is the world is putting these two poles of what they call love and what they call truth. And it's so divided. And the world doesn't have the ingredients to pull love and truth together. And it's something called grace. But apart from Jesus Christ, you cannot understand the concept of grace. Because this is what grace is. Grace is the only sinless one, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming to earth and saying, I love you and accept you right now with all of your flaws, with all of your mess. I love it. I'm entering into your house, sitting at your table with your friends. I love you and accept you just how you are. Right there in your tax booth, I'm calling you to follow after me. I love you and accept you just how you are, but I'm not gonna leave you in your tax booth. I'm gonna accept you and draw you out. And Jesus being the only sinless one, is the only one in a position to do that. The Pharisees one day bring a woman to Jesus who is caught in the act of adultery. And they said, the law says that we should stone this woman. And they all had stones in their hand. And they said, Jesus, what do you say? And he says, okay, let the first one who is sinless throw the, the first stone. And since no one was sinless, they all walked away dropping their stones because none of them had a position to condemn and you know what Jesus said? He, he was down drawing on the ground. He stood back up. He's like, oh, is there no one else here? He's the only one staying there. Why is he the only one left? How come he didn't walk away? Because he is sinless. He is in a position to condemn and judge. But what does he say? Neither will I condemn you. And then he says, go. And you just be you. Go and, and you just live however you're living because I'm not going to judge you. No, that's not what he says. He says, I love you. I accept you. I'm not going to condemn you, but go and sin no more. See, what is grace? Grace is Jesus Christ, the sinless one, loving us in the midst of our sin and drawing us out of it. What grace is, is love that doesn't excuse. It's love that transforms that's what grace is. What is grace? Grace is not, is, how do I dispel grace? How do I expend grace? How do I disperse grace? It's when I come around someone and say, look, I am in no position to judge, but I can introduce you to the person who saved me and is saving me out of my sin. It's Jesus. That's who I can introduce you to. So you notice that the disciples, they may not have wanted to go to Matthew's house, but they're following Jesus. They're following him right to Matthew's table. When you follow Jesus, actually two things happen. You discover grace and you dispense grace. You, you find grace 
and, and then you're spreading grace. You've received grace, but now you're channeling grace out. When you're following Jesus, you discover grace and you dispense grace. So some of us today, we need to discover grace for the first time. There's some of you that are watching right now and you're like, look, I, I know that I am a wreck and I, I'll try harder. And I, I know that I, I need to, there's stuff in my life I need to clean up and I know that God's not happy about it and I know that I've got sin. It's, you're right, I, I, I gotta clean myself up. That is, that is not ex- at all what I'm saying. To follow Jesus doesn't mean you have a set of principles that then you, you just try harder and harder and harder and harder to follow. That's not essentially what it means to follow Jesus. What it means to follow Jesus is to rest in his acceptance on your life right now and let him transform you and follow him as he's pulling you out. What does Jesus say? He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Because my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And then he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come to give you life to the fullest. I'm pulling you out of those destructive patterns. But you just come before Jesus and just rest in the fact that he's saying, I love you and I want you and I know you more than anyone else does. I know all your flaws more than anybody else does. And I love you and I'm accepting you and I'm calling you out and I want to transform you. That's what Jesus is saying. Some of you may are saying, look, I, I'm a Christian because I act Christianly. You might not know what it means to follow Jesus at all. I'm a Christian because I go to a Christian church. I'm a Christian because I've always called myself a Christian. I'm a Christian because I, uh, you know, I did some Christian rituals when I was a kid. That's not at all what it means to be a Christian. That's, that's religion. To follow Jesus is to realize he loves you and accepts you and is drawing you to himself, drawing you out of your sin. Just accept, discover grace. But Christian, there are some of you that need to rediscover grace because some of you have begun a journey in grace but are continuing it in self-righteousness. Some of you have have started a journey where like, look, I know I can't save myself. Jesus saves me. But then after that moment, everything else in your life is trying to prove yourself worthy before God. But you've got to continue how you began. You need Jesus every day. You need Jesus' grace every day. You need his mercies new every morning. You, you need to be rescued every day. And so some of you in this season, when we're facing un- unbelievable stress and pressure of our lives, what it's confronting in you is your self-sufficiency and your self-righteousness. And so some of you are saying right now, man, I, I always saw myself as a, as a good parent, but now like, man, in the pressure co- cooker of quarantine and educating my kids at home, man, I, I'm, I'm acting in ways I, I never thought I'd act. And maybe you've got this, this pressure of being so disappointed in yourself but you need Jesus every day. Don't be disappointed in yourself. That's revealing your self-righteousness. Wake up tomorrow in need of Jesus' grace again. Some of you are saying, look, I, I always just prided myself in, in being a, a wise financial manager, but man, all that's happening right now financially, like, I, uh, man, I, I'm just so shocked at myself and how things are playing out. How did I not prepare better? How did I plan better? I, I'm just so disappointed in myself. That's self-righteousness. You're dependent on Jesus every single day. Rediscover grace as you're following after Jesus. But Christian, dispense grace. 
Be one who dispenses grace. Sit at the table with people that are so far different from you, but you can gather around the person of Jesus. That's what Jesus did. He had tax collectors and fishermen, and eventually there would even be Pharisees sitting around that same table. People that by the world's eyes would never sit down at the table together, but around Jesus they found grace, and so they dispense grace for each other. Church, our world right now could not be more divided almost anywhere you look. And what our city needs and what our society needs is people that know how to dispense grace. Not tolerance or intolerance, grace. Not choosing between love or truth, but letting them both combine in grace by saying, hey, um, I, I need to be rescued just like you do. But I can sit down and, and at the table and I can love you even though you believe differently, think differently, have different life experiences than I do. I, I believe in things strongly, but that means I can still learn from you. I, I may have strong convictions, but I can stop and I can listen to you and respect you and consider your point of view. I... I I believe strongly in, in all the things you're talking about. That doesn't mean I'm going to stay in my one echo chamber because I'm too afraid to hear an opinion that differs from the one that I'm just pounding deeper into my mind. I can be someone who dispenses grace and I can show love and humility and courtesy and gentleness and kindness to everyone around me, whether they're a Pharisee or a tax collector whether they're, they're a, a sinner or a follower, I, I can dispense grace and love and humility because I know every day I need to be rescued. I am not going to look with superiority on anybody else. Follower of Christ, disciple of Jesus, mathetes of Jesus, Christian, church, we're called to not act like the rest of the world. We're called to live a life that the world looks like and say, man, are they from another planet? That is so alien. I've never seen anything like that. Be a, a recipient of grace who dispenses grace to those around. That's something we need to spread. And spreading grace is something you have to, you have to receive grace. You have to catch it from the person of Jesus so that you can spread it. Can we, as we're trying to be agents of change and transformation in our city, can we be reminded of the grace that we need every day and dispense it into a time in our world where, where it needs it more than ever? Maybe you're here and you're thinking, reminded that you need to discover grace or rediscover grace. And if that's you, I, I want to remind you that what grace means is that you can come to him right now and receive it. And so what I want to do, if you just say, look, if you're serious, if I, if I can come to Jesus without cleaning anything else up in my life, and I can trust him to clean it up, if, you, if that's true, then I'll do it right now. I'll surrender. And what you're surrendering is you're surrendering to follow him. That means open-ended. You're saying, Jesus, you're, you're the boss, you lead, and I will just follow you. If you're ready to take that step, I'd like to lead you in that prayer.
right now or sitting on your couch, sitting in your car, sitting at your desk, listening on your phone, you can put your faith in Jesus and become a follower of him. Discover grace today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Just right there in that moment, just pray this. Lift this prayer to Jesus. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me that much. You came after me, even though I'm so lost. Thank you for accepting me. I know you came to die on the cross to pay for my sins. And I believe you rose again from the dead. So I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if that was your prayer just then, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Um, Right there in the comments, you'll see uh, just a website, cityrev.org slash faith. Just take a moment, just click that. Go to that link, just take a moment, fill out your, just going to ask you a couple questions for your information. The reason is because we want to follow up with you and celebrate with you. We'd love to send you a Bible because we want to walk on this journey with you. If you're following Jesus, you're not following him alone. And we want to come alongside you and walk with you in this season and celebrate with you that you're now a follower of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.